Now, let me brag on you guys just real quick. I want to jump in to just a couple of quick announcements before we talk uh, through the message that God has. I want to brag on you guys. We had set a goal for our first fruits offering of $20,000, and we met that goal. And I am so grateful for that. Last week was the very first Sunday of the year, and each year for us, that is a first fruits Sunday. Uh, we collect an offering, and every bit of that offering, we sow that. We don't keep one penny of it. We sow that into the nation of Israel. And in addition to that, we get to sow an additional 7000 to go along with that as a tithe. And so we get to mail out $27,000 of offering this week. And I'm telling you, that seed will produce a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold in our lives. And I am grateful for that. I'm also grateful because I asked on purpose, was there any like really large offering or anything like that to offset? And it wasn't. It was all of us giving collectively. And I couldn't be more proud of you guys as a church, as individuals for uh, really taking that to heart and sowing. So uh, praise God. First fruits offering of $27,000. The largest offering our church will ever be able to sow. So thank you guys very, very much. I also want to share just real quickly that for the first time this week, we finally got to open up the daily grind to our community. So uh, the, the coffee shop is now open Monday through Saturday, closed on Sunday, except to our church. But uh, I want to encourage you, we've had the opportunity just this week, man, to pray. We, we got a chance to pray over another business owner. We got the chance to share Jesus with, with people and just provide them a place where they don't know it, but even the atmosphere holds something different. Amen? So uh, just make sure, if you want to during the week, swing in, grab a good cup of coffee. And then last but not least, our life groups will be starting over the next two weeks, over the course of next week and the week after. And I so want to encourage you, the enemy loves to pick on those of us that like to live life by ourselves. Listen, the lion doesn't jump in the middle of the herd. It looks for the outliers to pick off. I want to encourage you, Christians should not live life alone. Man, let me say it one more time. Christians shouldn't live life alone. We were designed to live in community. And there is a safety in community. There's a health in community. There is a blessing attached to community. And I want to encourage you, get involved in the community of life groups. We're going to have some that are uh, finance-based where you can really learn and grow Financially speaking, Ryan and his bride are going to be leading one of those. We're going to have some freedom-based life groups that are specific to just how do I break through and get freedom in some areas of my life. We're going to have um, some that are marriage-related. We're going to be doing one for uh, brand new people that uh, come to the church uh, that that we just, me and my wife, have over. So there's going to be a lot of them. We're going to have information out there, information on the website. But listen. Sign up to be a part of community. Don't live life alone. You were not designed to live life alone. Amen? All right, let's pray and we'll jump into the Word of God. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ,
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we declare that over these next minutes and moments that we have, Father, let Jesus increase and let us decrease. Father, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, speak to our hearts. Father, as we start the first sermon series of the year, speak to our hearts. Father, I want us to start 2020 amazing, and I want this year to be earmarked as different from the rest. Father, show us things that maybe we've looked past. Father, speak to our hearts in areas that, that maybe we thought had grown cold. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would give us wisdom, guidance, and direction. Father, correction if necessary. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen? Um, that, that statement is actually our, our launching sermon series for, for this month. And it's a statement that John made. And he made the statement when some of his disciples were asking him questions about Jesus. And I, I don't want to take this moment for granted. So I, I just want to fill in some blanks. Mary, when she was pregnant with Jesus, her, her cousin was pregnant as well. And that child that her cousin had, they named him John. And his role and responsibility, what they prayed over him, was that you're going to be the forerunner for Jesus. You're going to tell about Messiah. You're going to prepare the hearts of people that Jesus is coming. And, and he is the fulfillment of the word and the prophets. And... So John's been doing his thing, and he's getting people baptized, and he's, he's sharing about the Messiah and all these things. And, and so John's got like his little group of, of people that are traveling with him, and they're starting to get a little confused. And, and they're seeing Jesus now showing up, and, and now groups are following him, and they're standing kind of beside the one that, that got them saved. And they're standing by John, and there's this confusion now because they're seeing other things, and, and stuff's going on around them and they asked a question whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I mean is this supposed to be about you or is this supposed to be about him and again this is my um, this is my terminology okay bear with me but this is how I see it man John looks at him and says guys man, maybe you've missed what my whole life's mission is about Jesus has got to increase and we've got to decrease he's got to be the preeminent one, and I've got, man, if need be, man, just by you saying that, maybe we need to pull back. Because the reality is, if he doesn't increase, then what does and who does? Can I make this statement to you this morning? Man, if Jesus doesn't increase, typically what happens is your flesh then tends to increase. Your wants, your desires, what, what feels good to you, what feels good to your flesh, we generally don't like to discipline our flesh, just as a whole. Don't raise your hand, but how, how many of you either made or thought about making the New Year's resolution that you were going to go to the gym? One honest person. I told you not to raise your hand. That's good. Well, here's the thing. Listen, I've... I've grown up going to the gym and here's here's what I find you get in there you start feeling good but listen first couple of days usually aren't very fun because of why 
I'm sore. I haven't been in the gym for a while. I'm moving muscles and, and, and I'm doing things that now all of a sudden is causing me to be uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to give you a good nugget right here. Your greatest growth happens in life through struggle and resistance, not through your victories. Growth happens because I pushed through moments of resistance in my life. Not because I just skated by on pillowy clouds of ease. And listen, growth happens in the moments that are uncomfortable for us. Growth happens in the moments that really don't feel the best. But that's where the greatest amount of growth happens. And what our flesh tends to do is avoid those moments, not embrace those moments. And I think this is a big part of what John was saying. Listen, whether you like this or not, whether it feels good or not, whether it's uncomfortable or not, he's got to increase and I've got to decrease. He's got to increase in priority. We've got to decrease in priority. Because as a whole, we like what feels that best is the most comfortable and the easiest on us. Amen or oh me or oh my or something, but it's the truth. We tend to avoid the areas that we have to really struggle to attain. So, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but turn in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3. We're going to talk about uh, some, a couple of principles that I think are going to help us in him increasing and us decreasing. But, but just know this, and some of you have heard me say this countless times. We will always make time for what's important to us. Well, always. Listen, if it's important to you, you'll make time for it. You'll make resource available for it if you think it's important enough. But if you don't, how many of you at, at some point since the start of the year, I mean, we're, we're not very far into it, a couple of weeks in, how many of you have made a priority of eating a little bit better? Some of you have joined with us as we've been fasting. How, how many of you have made priority at least once or twice that, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down on this couch and I'm going to enjoy me a movie or I'm going to relax and kick back. I'm going to kick back in the easy chair. We will make time for what's important and we'll budget time for those things. And I find it interesting because if it's not a priority to you or to me, then I don't. And we generally make those decisions based off of what feels the best to our flesh. Hey, listen, don't kid yourself. I like, man, there are times you get home from work. It's like, man, let me put on my basketball shorts, my T-shirt, and I'm going to kick back on this couch and relax. Can I get any takers on that? I'm going to kick back this recliner. I'm going to lean it back. Somebody hand me the little couch pillow, and I will talk to you guys later. Why? Man, my, that's, especially after a long day, man, that feels good to my flesh. Amen? But in this, 
it's so important to understand Jesus doesn't increase in our lives by accident. He increases because we're intentional and we make that a priority. We make room for what's important to us. Otherwise, there isn't any room because other things are occupying it. And I really believe that's where John was coming from because his boys are like, oh, man, we got this going on and, and you're baptizing people in the river and stuff's going on. But we see what Jesus is doing over there and the stuff we got going on. And I see what he's going. Where's the balance? Man, if I've heard that from Christians once, I've heard it a hundred thousand times. It feels like how, how do you balance life and parents and, and church and ministry? And you will always make time for what's important to you. Always. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because I'm intentional. Amen? We've been fasting. We started uh, a church-wide fast last Sunday. And, and again, I'm not going to ask who's been participating. Some of you weren't here. Some of you may have forgot. Some of you, uh, quite frankly, just may not have wanted to discipline your flesh. I've, I've talked to a handful of of people that have been like, oh, you know what? Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fast because you know food's not really a big thing to me. Garbage. Then don't eat it. If it's not that big a deal, then what's the big deal about honoring the fast? See, it's interesting because sometimes when we talk about some spiritual disciplines according to the Word of God, people talk a great game, but when the rubber hits the road, they're nowhere to be found. And it's because, now listen to me, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but eating healthy is expensive. It is so much cheaper to buy junk, and it tastes better in my opinion, I'm just being honest with you. It's cheaper. Listen, I, I've got to shop differently. I've got to pay more. And, and I have to discipline my flesh. We opened up our coffee shop, and I'm going to make some of your stomachs just start rumbling right now. I mean, we're making fresh yeast rolls with homemade honey cinnamon butter. And we're making, you know, a sausage portobello quiche. And, and I'm just sitting there like, and I'm fasting all week, and I'm making all this food. And I'm telling you, it's been a rough week. Just being honest, I've wanted to pound that food in there. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. Things like that don't happen by accident. It happens because we made a heartfelt decision that, listen, I want him to increase in my life, and I'm going to decrease. So inside of that, I want us to, I, I want to just share the, the story of Jonah, real quick. And a lot of people kind of in a roundabout way know the story of Jonah because we heard it like in Sunday school or we had the little children's book and Jonah was disobedient and got swallowed by a whale. And that's kind of the content of what we know about the story of Jonah. But there's so much more to this story. And I'm, I'm going to give you the nutshell and then we're going to get into Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. But I'm going to set the table here just real quick. So in this story, you have Jonah, who was considered a prophet in his day. God would speak to him, give him words to share with people, maybe with, with groups of people, maybe with countries, cities, so on and so forth. So, so God begins to tell 
Jonah, I want you to go share this word with the king in the city of Nineveh. And I want you to share this with the people that, listen, I'm not happy with where you're at. I'm not happy with what you're doing. I'm not happy with where you're headed. And destruction is coming if you don't make a change. First and foremost, I praise God that we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. I praise God for that. Because, uh, well, I, I don't want to deviate. But here's, here's the kicker. And I'm going to share some good nuggets right here. Jonah didn't want to do it. And I know none of you can ever relate to God asking you to do something and you don't want to do it. I know you can't relate to that, but you got this man of God that God is speaking to his heart and saying, man, go tell these people. I'm trying to warn these people. They've got time to make changes. Go speak. I don't want to. Man, I think we can be so guilty of that. Man, God's trying to prompt our heart. And, and, and maybe it's not going and talking to a nation. Maybe it's just going and talking to your neighbor, neighbor the cubicle over, and say, man, I, I just, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. It doesn't have to be anything major. And it's amazing how we begin to feel that. It's like, well, I don't want to. Why? My flesh. Well, that's uncomfortable. Well, I'm not, you know, I, I, you know, what if they don't believe the same way? What if? But the realities are, the more, now listen to me, this is a nugget for you. The more undisciplined you are from a flesh standpoint, the more undisciplined you'll be from a spiritual standpoint. They're tied hand in hand. They're the heads and the tails of the same coin. It's the same reason why most of the time when physically you are extremely worn down, you're exhausted, maybe you're dealing with physical issues when it seems like you'll be attacked by the enemy the most because of your vulnerability from a flesh standpoint. When your flesh is the most undisciplined is when your spirit life is the most undisciplined. You know, sometimes when you do things like a fast, based off of the Word of God. And oddly enough, here in Jonah is literally the first reference to them fasting. Isn't this interesting? But I share that from this standpoint. You've got a guy that God's trying to encourage him to do something, and he doesn't want to do it. And so he makes the decision, not only do I not want to be obedient to what you're telling me to do, I'm going to go the polar opposite direction. I'm going to hop into a boat, and I'm going to sail the opposite direction of Nineveh because I really don't want to do what you're asking me to do. So then a storm shows up. How many of you have watched, like, Deadliest Catch and things like that? I actually think it's cool, a little bit rough language-wise, but, I, you know, sometimes those waves that come up, and their boats are huge, and they're talking about 30, 40, 50 foot waves. I, I can't imagine what kind of washing machine the ocean turns into in that moment. I, the, I think about the tallest seas I've ever personally been in while I was fishing was about 12 to 14. And it was so interesting because when your boat went down into the trough, all you could see is waves on both sides. And then when you got up to the crest of one of the waves, you could see forever. But I found that very interesting because in, in 12 to 14 foot waves, you feel a touch claustrophobic. Like, man, these walls are, 
are caving in. And so they're, they're on this boat, and the seas are raging, and finally Jonah says, you know what, guys, this is my fault. I've been disobedient. That's why you all are dealing with the storm. Can I speak to the guys in the house? Sometimes your marriage is going through a storm, and sometimes your family's going through a storm because you're being disobedient, and it's affecting those around you. Let me take it a step further. Some of you are anointed to really make a difference in your workplace, and sometimes your workplace is in turmoil because you're being disobedient. Not every time, but sometimes. And so he finally says, okay, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm the reason this is happening. If you'll throw me out the boat, you guys will be just fine. I'll just chill out here in the water, and you guys can go about your business. This is my interpretation, by the way. So they throw him off the boat. See you. <laughs> Happy to get rid of you. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, but this, this is what I think when I'm reading through this. Now, I really do think that you can tread wa water for a while. You can, you know, fill up your lungs and float in the seawater and stuff like that. But I really do believe in my heart that Jonah got to a place of exhaustion. And I really think he would have been at a point of death. Now, I don't know how it would be like for you. I've been fishing one time out in the Keys, and we think it was a marlin. It was either a marlin or a monster shark that swam underneath us and was bigger than our boat, and our boat was 21 foot. I'm going to be honest with you, I about crap my pants. Because that is huge. At least it is for me. Now, I can't imagine seeing something big enough to swallow a man coming straight at me. And so you got Jonah, who's at, I think, a moment of just, I'm about to give up, I'm about to head down, and all of a sudden you see, you know, of course, in my world, like Jaws coming right at you. And it swallows him. Jonah stays in the whale for three days. Scripture says the whale then vomits him out onto the shore. And here's where we're going to pick up, because this is interesting to me. Jonah 3, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. Let me just pause there, because he's still arguing with God. It says the second time. Man, after going through all that, can we all agree we can be extremely stubborn at times? And we can be extremely stubborn to try to get our own way. I'm going to step on your feet right now, just FYI. Why? Because we want the path of least resistance. We want what feels good to our flesh. And we don't want to fight for what will eventually cause us to grow. We want to avoid those things. And so we'll take the paths of least resistance. We'll run away rather than run to. We'll do all those things. And Jonah on the, on the ocean, I'm sorry, on the, on the beach right there, having spent three nights in the belly of a whale, is still fighting with God for his own way. Again, I know none of you can relate to that, but let me tell you, this happens all the time. He says, get up and go. So... This time Jonah obeys, and the, uh, 
obeyed the Lord's command, went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. And they put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap, sat on a heap of ashes, and then the king and all the nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps yet even God will change his mind and hold back his anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he threatened. Now here's what's interesting. I am amazed at this ungodly king. And, and I'm going to share with you two really quick points that I'm gleaning from this king who, who does not serve God. At least the, the scripture implies that. But I think it's amazing that, listen, think through this. He has all the money. He has all the power. He has all the control. He's got the servants coming. He's got life by the tail. He's got all the food you could ask for. And the scripture says this, he gets down off of his throne. And he says, you know what? The crown, it's got to go. The rings, they've got to go. The robe, it's got to go. The cushy seat on the throne's got to go. Because of how important it is that I stop what I'm doing and I begin to discipline my flesh in order for God to increase and me to decrease. I found it so interesting. This man who has all the power says, you know what? If I really want to see change happen, then I've got to make a change in my routine. Now, you know this guy is serious because I think through this, and I'm, being, I, I'm really, I mean, think through this. I don't know if you guys think about these things. But like, what's it going to benefit me if my dog doesn't get to eat or drink for the next seven days? What's it going to benefit if the horses don't get to eat? Or, But I found it interesting because this man who the implication is an ungodly man. Man, he makes a decree. People aren't eating. We're not eating as the nobles. The animals aren't eating. Nobody's eating because he's got to increase here and we've got to decrease. So whatever that looks like, that's what we're going to walk out. Here's my first quick point is this. You have got to establish what genuinely is important to you. Because you'll always make, make time. You'll make room. You'll make resource for what's important. I just think sometimes we're not really honest from a heart level about what's important. And not only do I think we're not honest, I think we're deceptive with ourselves. And I think there are these moments where we come together and we have to make a choice between what's important to me and what's important to God. And now I've got a real decision to make. Am I going to do it my way that feels easier, that's a whole lot less confrontational, that has got tons less resistance, or do I perhaps do it God's way that will cause me to push 
out of a cocoon and forge me and form me into something different than what I was. But you've got to be sincerely genuine with what is important to you. What's important to you? Is laying on a couch important? Is going out on a boat important? Is You can name any number of things. But if God really is important and if Jesus is going to increase, then I will make time, I will make priority, and I will make room because Jesus doesn't increase in our lives by accident. He increases because we're intentional. And we make intentional decisions based off of what's important to us. Is being comfortable important or is growing important? Because if I want my muscles to grow, I've got to intentionally put them through moments of discomfort. Otherwise, my muscles don't grow. And time will tell you they actually shrink. But man, if I'll put them through some moments of being uncomfortable, it's amazing how my body responds. And I'm telling you, if you'll do the same spiritually, it's amazing how you'll spiritually respond. Let me give you the second one, is be more than a consumer. I think this is the part that amazed me about this king. He had it all. He had the servants. He had the food. He had the whole nine yards. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stop being a consumer and I'm going to start being a, a giver or participator. I'm going to get involved in it rather than letting the world come to me. I think one of the apex problems with today's church is we've created, and I don't even know if it's been on purpose, but we've created at large a consumer mentality when someone walks through the door. And, and we're, we're going to put on the lights and we're, we're going to make sure everything and the best chairs and, man, get a cup of coffee and all those things. And those are all great, but we create this weird consumer mentality that when I walk through the door, what do you got for me? And it carries over into our personal life where it's all about feeding me. And the reality is this king gets off of his throne and says, man, I can't just be a consumer. I've got to get in the middle of this thing. And that's more difficult the more means you have because of how simplified life can become. Now, listen, we are not consumers when we walk through the doors of the house of God. The scripture is very clear. We're not consumers. We're sons and daughters. We're very clear. Now, I don't know how you grew up. And I don't know what your method of parenting is, but listen, my sons and daughters, they have roles, they have responsibilities, they have chores, they have life. And as sons and daughters, so do we. But we create, I, I think at, at times we've created these weird pockets of, man, man, praise and worship team better be on point, man. The words, the, the, man, you've been tripping on the words, the words have been late. Come on, and pastor, you better have brought a good word. I don't care what's going on in your life. You better have brought something good for me to feed on. Oh, and pastor, you ain't going to be there. Well, I ain't coming because I ain't listening to somebody else. And we create this crazy consumer mentality where it's all about how can you gratify me and my flesh. Listen, Jesus increasing doesn't happen by accident. It begins to happen when I stop trying to be 
sitting on the throne of my own life and having everything serve me and I get up off of my throne and I let somebody else on the throne of my heart. I'm just, I love this king that makes a decision. I'm going to get off the throne of my heart and let somebody else on the throne of my heart.